This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. We also have our president, Jamar Tisby, on the line as well. Jamar, what's going on? It's good to talk to you, man. This is uh, an exciting episode, and we keep just being gluttons for punishment, kind of wading into these controversial issues. But we've got a lot of good positive feedback that uh, folks find it helpful. So I hope this is uh, another one in that long line. Yeah, absolutely. And so we have a special guest on the line. Um, she wrote an article uh, for Rand Network entitled Where Are Our White Allies? And it received about, I think, approximately 10,000 comments um, online. <laughs> Um, I'm joking, or but that's what it felt like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a- absolutely. And uh, she is a uh, MDiv student, correct, Ikemina? I am, I am. MDiv student at Westminster Theological Seminary. She's also a prolific writer um, and speaker. We're talking about Ikemini Uwan, Our, most of you already know her as a friend of the show, but uh, E, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Cool. So I called her E because we're friends. So sorry if that was a little too, too casual, but you know how it is. We family here. So, <laughs> so Akimini, give us the just the general thrust. And can you define the term white ally for us? To me, I wasn't thinking I was coining some new term. I, I mean, the, the dictionary defines ally as one who, you know, joins him or herself with another person, a group. Um, in order to get or give su- support. Um, and so I was just using that dictionary, Merriam-Webster <laughs> definition and looking, you know, um, to white, white allies um, in particular, because after a while, though we have our minority allies, and I'm grateful for them, and they're also, you know, fighting their own battles. Um, I think that it sometimes our... Um, our concerns um, regarding racism fall on deaf ears uh, because they feel that we're beating this drum all the time. Um, but I think there's just a, a failure to understand how this issue impacts our lives every day. And so, and so why I'm calling upon um, our white allies is that they often times they're more influential than us sometimes, you know, when it comes to these issues. And it means a lot more when you have a peer saying, hey, hold up, you know, like, why are you making any assumptions about this person? Or or that wasn't right, you know, and just challenging, just the extra step or pushing back. Um, that's the reason why um, I directed that question towards, you know, our white brothers and sisters. Now, let me ask you this, because I this is very basic, and and we would know this. The the people who are speaking on this podcast would understand this, and probably most of our listeners. But if someone's peering in, when you say allies to what end? So so allies in the fight, as you were mentioning, mm-hmm. towards what? What are we pushing towards? And I know that's very basic, mm-hmm. but just so we're clear and nothing okay. is assumed, 
what are we pushing towards? Yeah, because I did see um, somebody comment and, well, you know, I would be an ally, but I don't want to sign on to the agenda. For me, I'm talking about meeting out, I'm sorry, rooting out, not meeting out, rooting out racism when you see it. Hmm. You know, I'm not asking you to join um, a political revolution or even Black Lives Matter's movement. I'm just saying challenge, you know, racist ideologies, challenge any prejudice that you see, challenge anything that you see that's not in line or in step with the gospel. Um, and, and let's fight for what is true and what's good. And so, so when I'm saying an ally, it could be on different levels, but I'm, I'm talking at the most basic level, like, huh, you made an assumption about that boy based on his skin tone. Why? And uh, one thing you said in the article in particular is helpful to understand sort of what's at stake with this. So when we don't see our white allies kind of jump in the conversation, come alongside us to call out racism when and where they see it, there's a price, um, particularly for ethnic minorities, in this case, African-Americans. It's the fatigue. It's feeling like we're in this battle almost all by ourselves and that the people who, like you said, in some cases have the most influence or more influence on certain, you know, segments of the population, like they're not joining in. They're kind of sympathetic maybe. So we're not saying that if folks didn't speak up that they are supporting race, racist ideas necessarily. But when you feel like you're a, a minority in a smaller group and you're trying to call out these things and the folks who have greater numbers, greater social influence, if you will, it feels like they're standing on the sidelines. And then for you who are in the in the battle, so to speak, it sort of increases that fatigue and it just weighs on people. I cannot tell you how many times a week, <laughs> I hear from different folks saying, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. And uh, it, it just, it's sort of, it refreshes you and encourages you when you see white brothers and sisters jump into the fray and link arms with you as well. So I think there's a high cost to pay when that doesn't happen that folks need to understand. Oh, there certainly, uh, there certainly is. Uh, I mean, racial fatigue, it really is very real. Um, this is something that I battle almost on a daily basis, seriously. So when I say I'm calculating a racial cost benefit analysis, I'm not I'm not using hyperbole there. I'm speaking quite literally. I'm, se- I'm very serious when I say that, um, because these things can re- they really do take a toll um, on your your mind, your body and your soul. I mean, it, it really does, you know, um, and so because it's. Because the thing about racism is that it's an attack on my humanity, our humanity. It's an attack on the image of God. Mm. Uh, you're you're not seeing me in God's image. You're you don't see that I'm an embodied soul. You're reducing me to a statistic, um, and that's just that should never be okay uh, with anybody. I don't care, black, white brown, it does not matter. Um, and so, and I, I am grateful for those, you know, um, our white brothers and sisters that we don't see, you know, who are doing these things and who are challenging and who are pushing back and asking the extra question. Um, there are many that are behind the scenes doing that very thing. Um, but I'm kind of wanting also not, and that's why I left it general. I didn't, I didn't say only you guys with platforms, you know, or only you guys, you know, with, yeah, I just didn't designate because I wanted, the call was supposed to be 
everybody at every level, wherever you are, you know, just to make sure you're challenging these things. What's, you know, if you see something that's not in line with the gospel, you challenge it. That's it. You know, and that's, that's the thing. And, but I think a lot of that, sometimes there's a fear of man, you know, I don't know how many times I've gotten DMS from people from um, white brothers and sisters who said, yeah, I watched that. I saw that. And I just didn't know how to enter or I was, you know, they'll, try to say it and, you know, they'll try to frame it in a way that, you know, doesn't necessarily show that they were fearful, but really at the end of the day, sometimes it's just a a fear of the backlash, a fear of taking that on, a fear of um, taking on what we experience quite often, the name calling um, and things like I was accused of forsaking the gospel. I'm also, all of a sudden I'm a heretic now because of this post. And I'm like, wow. You know, so it's like, really? This is actually just an impassioned plea for help, (laughs) you know, an SOS, you know, that's really what it is. The, the, the fear of man, I think, is a great way to frame it. It's, it's, there's so many people, I think, who are, like I said, sympathetic, empathetic with, you know, Mm -hmm. what minorities are going through with what African Americans are going through, but they don't, they don't voice that sympathy or they don't join the uh, resistance to racism publicly. And, and it reminds me that our, our pastor preached from John 19 uh, over uh, the Easter, Easter Sunday, and it reminds me mm-hmm. of the initial verses that he talked about. It, it was talking about um, Joseph of Arimathea, and it says, he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and it also mm-hmm. talks about Nicodemus, who earlier had come to Jesus by night. <laughs> so not wanting anyone to know, hey, I'm with you, I support you, right. but there's all this social pressure for me to not publicly align myself with you. So I'm going to sneak in by night and and learn from you. Um, or I'm going to be your supporter, but nobody else is going to know it. And I'll just, you know, kind of do this on the down low uh, so that I don't face some of this social pressure. And, and you know, that's not unique to white people. This is not, <laughs> this is a human being yeah. thing. Uh, we all have those areas yeah. where we're timid. And like you said, this is just an impassioned plea from uh, someone who's in this battle, in this struggle to say, hey, there, there's plenty of room on the, on the, on the battlefront to come join us. So you talked about the the balance between big T truth, which is Christ, who's truth embodied, and then also little T truth, which is the history and the the social context with which we push towards racial reconciliation. Can, I think that was a very important part of the article. So can you explain that for people who uh, need to understand that we can't have true racial reconciliation without that, the balance between the, the big T truth and little T truth? Right, right. Well, I mean, when you think about it, you know, our our redemption, you know, in Christ, I mean, how can we be reconciled to God without actually confessing our sins? Um, we have to actually confess what is true about us, you know, that we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and that we sin in particular ways um, against this holy God. And I think that's, and I'm just drawing analogically, you know, is what I'm speaking about here. But you think about the fact that, you know, we sin in very particular ways um, against this God. We're enemies of Christ. You know, we wanted nothing to do with him. You know, we wanted to um, call our own shots, you know, and be be the captain of our own soul, right? And dethrone Christ, um, who is to be praised forevermore. And so these are 
particular ways. There are many more ways that we sin against um, God, but those are some particular ways and things that we have we have to confess in order to receive God's forgiveness, in order to receive his grace, in order to be reconciled to God, to have peace with him. You know, he he's not the one that was at fault at all. Is us, you know, we are the ones who actually sin against him. So analogically, if we think about that, when we're thinking about horizontally between one another, well, we have to get straight on what's true, you know, about um, this, our racial history in this country. We have got to get, agree on basic facts, you know, on the reality um, of slavery and its impact, the reality of how and why the Civil War um began. We have to agree on these things. We have to agree on Jim Crow. We have to agree on why we even have a Black church. Um, Why do we have a Black award shows? Why do we have a Black anything? Because we were excluded. We were not included. You know, these are just facts of history. So we need to, that's little T truth. This is what happened. Let's lay it out. What are these particular ways, you know, that these unfortunate, you know, and, and very wicked um, events, you know, took place in our history. How do they still impact us? Because um, we have, we cannot be reconciled unless we're reconciled based on truth, right? But it's not enough for us to just recount the history and leave it there. I mean, really, um, because if we just have that, then there's no reconciliation. We need Jesus apart from the reconciliation wrought through Christ. You know, how can we then be reconciled to one another? We can't without that. And so we need that spiritual um, element we need to our eyes, the eyes of our um, understanding to be open, um, to see one another, to be humble, you know, to see, man, that we're in this together. All of us, you know, have sinned and fallen short. And by God's grace, those who believe in Christ will be worshiping around God's thrones in the new heavens and new earth. That is what's going to happen. That's what we're aiming towards. That's the reason why we're looking to for racial reconciliation, because the kingdom of God has already broken into this present evil age. If it has not, then there's no reason why we should, mm. but it has. You know, and we believe and we know that in the end we will win um, because Christ, you know, is already victorious, you know. So I say all that to say that it's not enough to just say, all right, sin, because there's some people have said, well, you know, God has prioritized, you know, the gospel and Yes, he has, of course, you know, and, and it's sin. But if we say everything, then we say nothing. We have sin in particular ways. Hmm. Um, we have done particular groups in this country wrong and sinned against them in particular ways. We need to get straight on that, you know, and then we need to figure out how can we reconcile each other? How can we fight together to have unity, to have reconciliation, um, to, ha- to come together, to have actual forgiveness? Um, you need to be clear on those things. You know, or else right. it's, it's all for not if, if we're not honest about those things. So I think that's the rub, right? So I think Akemini brings up a fantastic point about naming sin in its particular manifestations. And the one we're dealing with explicitly here is racism. But that's been a topic of controversy. So Kemeny and Tyler, you've dealt with sort of the pushback that we've gotten from it. Tyler, you more so on social media, Akemeny on the actual blog post. What are what are some of the main kind of pushbacks uh, that, sh- that we've been getting around this topic of white allies? Tyler, what did you see? 
Yeah, so I've seen um, pretty standard pushback when we have these types of conversations, but I think it's arisen from maybe two separate areas um, that that Akimini could probably address since she wrote the article. I, I think one of the areas is kind of an indicative that I'm getting, some uh, something I'm drawing from some of the comments, kind of an underlying uh, sentiment, and then another is something more uh, specific and outright, but the first would be this idea that that maybe we're asking or, or people are are implying that we're asking too much, that we're asking for kind of an idealized view of our white brothers and sisters, that when we ask them to speak up, we're not considering their situation. And it's almost as though there's a pushback that, you know, why are you guys making us do this and, and what can we do? almost a throw your hands up and say, I mean, you know, what, what are we going to do if we say anything about this? Um, but then there's, there's another side, which is, you know, this, this idea that, um, you have to almost this tribal idea that, well, we have to agree with you to be your ally. And so I don't know, Kimmy, you could probably get into the specifics of those, but those are the two main pushbacks that I've seen is kind of this, this pushback emotionally, which would say, you know, well, why do we have to say something about this? And then the pushback, you know, more from a, a social and maybe theological or ideological standpoint, which says, do we have to agree with you to be your ally? What, what are your thoughts on that? On the first um, point, the reason we say that we're Christians, you know, and so the grounding for all of this is in the word of God. You know, so I'm not asking people to do something based on my opinion or based on, you know, some abstract philosophical notion. This is just what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bear um, one another's burdens. Um, we're supposed to believe the best about one another. So I'm actually just, I'm not binding anybody's conscience to, to some abstract notion. You know, our conscience is to, to be bound by this word that God has given us. And so I'm calling you know, fellow brothers and um, sisters in Christ to live up, you know, to the calling that we've received, you know, and, and that's, that's really it. That, and for me, I'm not saying that you're uh, forsaking the gospel by not doing that, you know, but I'm just challenging you, you know, to, you know, to, to let go of that fear, to let go of those concerns, just to push back, to ask the other questions. I think sometimes people are like, um, I, I don't know, I get the sense that people are wanting are thinking, you know, that we're wanting them to do some monumental thing or, you know, like it has mm -hmm. to be, you have to be some huge world changer. Changes happen incrementally. You know, it's, it's the small things that actually make big Im impacts, you know, that just asking the extra question, just challenging um, can actually plant a seed and cause somebody to maybe think twice about what they said, maybe examine themselves. Um, Again, so for me, that that's another thing that I, I think that sometimes is underneath that is like this concern that we're asking them to sign up to some sort of, you know, agenda. And it's like, no, we're just asking you to, if you see something that's not right, call it out, speak up on behalf of those, that person. That's, I believe that's what Christ would have done. Um, so there's, you know, there's that aspect uh, to that. Um, Tyler, what was the, the second question that you asked? Sorry, I forgot. Well, I think you addressed both of them. The, the oh. second one was mainly just this idea that um, we have to agree, that they have to agree with us to be our allies. And and maybe you can tease that out a bit more, but 
you know, I think most people would assume that when we have this discussion, that there's this ideological baggage that comes with it or social baggage, because they've been told that if you speak about these things, Mm -hmm. then you ascribe to this political ideology and this social construct and this. And so and so I, I think people are assuming that you have to take all this with you just to speak out in in favor of racial reconciliation and to have a direct stand against racism in our country. But that's that's yeah, you know the issue. Oh, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> that's the issue, right? It's 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 the fear of the social stigma of aligning yourself with a group of people who are saying certain things and what that will cost you whether that's socially or in the church or politically or whatever. So so what you get labeled yeah. We get labeled all the time. Every one of us on the microphone today has been called some name. And I don't just mean the N-word. We've been called liberal. We've been called Marxist. We've been called, you know, uh, race baiters. All of these things. Race baiters, yeah. You know, we don't. Mm -hmm. And and we're endeavoring, just like the people who are accusing us of these things, to follow the gospel and apply biblical truth to a, a persistent issue in our country. And for doing that, we get lumped in with people who don't even believe the gospel. And then when, yeah. when people yeah. who say, well, do I have to, you know, agree with all of this stuff? Do I have to? T-? No, you don't have to agree with all this, quote unquote, this stuff. I don't know what you're talking about specifically, but you might get labeled along with the rest of us, which is probably, which is part of the reason why it's so tiring to do this work is that when we try to approach it from a, a gospel lens, we get accused of approaching it strictly or primarily from a racial lens. And if you become an ally, particularly if you're white and in the racial majority, you might get lumped into that group too. But so what? Yeah. You know, that it is yeah. costly to be an ally. There's no comfortable way to be an ally, um, not in this struggle. Mm-hmm. And and so I think yeah. that's a big a big point that people just kind of have to say for the sake of the truth and for the sake of my brothers and sisters in Christ who are enduring um, these kinds of injustices. I'm going to come alongside in the imitation of Christ and uh, take on uh, burdens and unfair accusations um, that I wouldn't necessarily have to if I didn't engage in this struggle along with them. So, you know, I. I feel you. You got to be strategic in a certain sense, but at the same time, there's there's no way to avoid uh, somebody saying negative things about you. That's just part of the deal. Yes. And um, if I can jump in, you know, um, just to this point, I think, sadly, I think it's an indictment on the church that racial issues, that ground has been given to liberals. That ground has been given what? to the realm of sociology, sociological studies, really? Anthropological studies, seriously, really? Like that, that is just mind boggling to me. <laughs> this Bible speaks to par- um, partiality. It speaks, you know, to divisions. It speaks to schisms, okay? It speaks to all of these prejudices. It speaks to all of these things. And so how dare we say that, oh, that ground is is for them out there, Mm. you know, not here in the church. What do you mean? 
you know, so we just gut the whole prophetic corpus. Is that what we do? You like, that's just, it's unacceptable. And I'm just coming to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm a Marxist. I'm a race baiter. I'm a liberal. I now have to just begin to wear that as a badge of honor because now it just lets me know that, huh, perhaps I'm actually doing something right. You know, because I realized that this isn't some sort of like intellectual exercise, you know, lives are at stake here. And not to mention that, this is also, it's not just about, I'm sorry, intellectual exercise, but this is spiritual. Mm. This is a spiritual mm. stronghold. When I'm literally asking for white allies to join us in the fight, to, to stand with us, to defend, you know, um, any speech that is not full of grace, truth, and love, and I'm attacked for that, that is g- gospel 101. Then I know that there's something else at play. You know, and it's not just a mere intellectual exercise. There is something spiritual here um, at work. And so, yeah, we're asking them to join. But I I hate the notion that, oh, it's for them out there. It's not. No, this is for us. We actually have the answer here. You know, we have the answer. and We have the ability to speak to this um, in a substantive way and in a real way. Thank God for common grace, um, because then we'd really be you know, we'd really be lost. I mean, really, um, because unfortunately, um, it seems that we're left, you know, by ourselves to fight this. But I don't believe it has to be that way. And when I think back and I see, you know, about civil rights movement and just how awful it was. And I can't believe, you know, that white Christians, you know, um, you know, supported segregation and things like that. And I'm like, well, we're in a new wave of the civil rights movement here, whether you want to believe that or not and it's like where do you stand Mm. where are you because Mm. if you don't stand up now then when will you that really is the question there's no convenient time to stand up for truth and the truth does divide and we need to be okay with that we really do let me say two things real quick one there are there there are you know countless white allies out there and and I've seen them I've interacted with them I've seen them post they've direct messaged me so I want to affirm that um, oh yeah at the same yes. time the the one the folks who have the most influence are the people who are regular writers regular bloggers who speak publicly who have large ministries we're also looking for those folks to chime in. And I love what you mm-hmm. said, Akemini, there's there's no convenient time to do so. And so, you know, folks are kind of sitting back waiting for the perfect situation, the airtight case to jump in where they are absolutely on the right side and nobody can accuse them differently. That's probably not going to happen. Or if it does, it's going to be way too late um, in a lot of ways. And so there's no ideal time to jump into this. The The second thing I want to say is another common objection uh, or, or another common reason why people don't jump in is they if they're white, they feel like they don't quite have enough information. And so there was a comment on uh, your uh, blog post on the RAN Network website, and I think he puts it well. Uh, this person says, I think the reason that there aren't more white allies is that it takes 
a while for white folks like me to understand the depth of the problem. Seriously, it wasn't until right. Mike Brown right. that I st- that it started dawning on me how persistent and systematic racism still was in the U.S. Part of the realization was that this wasn't a new thing. The new thing was that it was being caught on video. This kind of abuse has been going on for years, just undocumented. That shook me a great deal. Then he goes on to say, a personal relationship with a minority who shared all the stuff that she's going through. And then he basically says, there's a steep learning curve before folks like me get a feel for white privilege, even while a big part of us resists the very idea. Please be patient with us. Um, so my assumption would be there are a whole lot of folks who feel that way, uh, that I don't have enough information, that there's this this huge body of knowledge that minorities are privy to somehow and I don't have access to without a whole lot of work and effort on my part. So I don't want to jump in and say the wrong thing. Tyler, what would you say to that? I mean, we've all said the wrong thing. Goodness. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know of anybody who who we've ever had on the show who wouldn't say, Man, maybe I went too far here. Um, but don't think that you have to have some PhD before you can talk about it. I mean, if we if we truly believe in solidarity, then that solidarity cannot be selective. It must be when our brothers and sisters cry out to us and we notice their pain and we have compassion on it. Man, that's good. Um, so the, the title of this is probably going to be How to Be a White Ally. So in terms of very practical, concrete steps for folks particularly white folks who are who are listening and say, okay, I'm on board. I believe y'all. How do I do it? What do I do? What does it mean to be a white ally? What are some very concrete, practical steps folks can implement? Nikemini, does it do anything does anything pop right to the surface for you? There are times that I'm allies, you know, with other minorities, anybody that's either outcast. I mean, for example, if somebody says something prejudiced or racist, you know, against um, an Asian, you know, Asian brother or sister or somebody, I'm going to challenge and push back, you know, and I'm like, hmm, why do you make that assumption? Or why do you say that, you know, about um, those who are um, of Mex- Mexican descent, you know, or why do you make these types of characterizations about um, illegal immigrants? Or I'm just trying to give you like a, a scope, you know, um, because I hear such comments um, regularly. And I'm like, wow. And I think that people make these assumptions about people because they simply don't do life with people um, who are, are, are have meaningful relationships with um, others of, of different ethnic minorities or groups. And so I think it's just challenging and pushing back, asking the extra question or, or, or trying to reorient their, their thinking and like, and just say that's not right. We're supposed to believe the best about this person, and and when you do that, you're not seeing this person in the image of God, um, or just just calling out something that you see that is totally wrong. Um, and we're not asking you to write a novel. We're not asking you to, you know, make a treatise. We're just saying, you know, just push back and say something. Um, and, and particularly those, you know, like you've mentioned before, those with influence as well. Um, I'm grateful for the hundreds and thousands, you know, of white allies we do have, you know, in the fight every day. I know them and they encourage me. That's why I keep going because I'm like, they're there, you know, but we need more. And so, and I think the first practical step is really um, just living by the biblical um, gospel convictions, you know, of, of, 
of loving all things, believing all things, um, and, and rejoicing what's true and praiseworthy and right, you know? Um, and so, and, and it just comes down to one anothering, you know, and caring for one another and be like, huh, man, that seems, those comments seem so trivial to me, you know? And it's like, oh, you know, like, oh, I don't care, you know, about what he said, but, but your black brothers and sisters do care. Um, and it does matter to us. Uh, you know, um, this is not to condemn anybody. It's just a challenge that the next time, unfortunately, there will be another time where it's some sort of, you know, racial um, event comes up because we're in a fallen world and we are sinners, uh, that we just speak up, ask that question, challenge, you know, use your sphere of your influence, whatever sphere of influence that the Lord's giving you just to challenge and ask that extra question and push back and to say, you know what, that's not right. That's it. That's really all I'm asking. That's good. Yeah, let me let me let me hop in because I have just a couple of more things before we go. Um, I, I totally <laughs> echo what Akimini is saying, and I think in some very practical ways, one is to not to not, and this is this has happened on a mass scale, but to reject the the tendency and the temptation to have fun at another person's expense, mm-hmm. another ethnicity's expense. And we've yeah. seen that in very public ways. Where, where what we do is we, we generalize and stereotype for a quick laugh and for that instant gratification of a moment of fun. And really what we've done is we've dehumanized a person. Um, secondly, I, I'll, I'll also say that we must have a critical view of what we intake from a social, intellectual, and understanding perspective. So the websites we go to, um, the forms of media that we consume, the news sites, are they reinforcing anger, stereotype, and fear towards people who are who are the other? We've seen that prominently in our presidential campaign and in other spheres, but we must reject the 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 uh, uncritical consuming and consumption of forms of media and blogs that will just stir up anger and stir up fear and stir up uh, presuppositions and presumptions about our brothers and sisters. And then finally, um, I would say. Enter into spaces, and this is something that that we have to do even as um, as black people with other ethnicities, other minorities. Enter into spaces where you are not the dominant voice. Those are those are great lists, and so this is these are just going to be super concrete, and I'm just going to run through them. Uh, we'll probably post some of these when we post the actual podcast, and and we'll put it on the page. One. Uh, diversify your social media feed. So a couple I recommend, and again, this is not signing off on everything these folks put out. Rather, this gives me sort of a window into uh, African-American culture. And so it's just informative. It doesn't mean I agree with all of it. The Root, R-O-O-T, follow them. Grio, Huffington Post, Black Voices. Those are just a few kind of very widely known um, media outlets concerning African-American culture. Uh, two, inform yourself of the history. We, we have said this probably on the last four or five podcasts, but know the history. There's a series um, 
on randnetwork.org by Otis Pickett, and he basically traces the history of racism in the U.S. He does a survey from colonial period all the way up to World War II, basically, and so that's a really good primer. Another one is Sean Michael Lucas. He has a new book out called For a Continuing Church. It's talking specifically about Southern Presbyterianism, but a lot of the dynamics in terms of race are are the same. Uh, the old standby, Divided by Faith, is... Uh, just required reading for any kind of conversation about uh, race and the church. Another one, recognize racism is a gospel issue. Akemeni talked on this earlier and, and did a really profound job of saying that the Bible does talk about partiality. It does talk about preferential treatment. It does talk about division and schism. So this is a gospel issue. Don't treat it like it's something for other people out there. Uh, thirdly, learn from other white allies. Um, Alan Noble is a great one. We had him on the show last week. He was one of the folks who was vocal um, as a white ally about the particular uh, most recent Facebook event. Uh, another guy is Russell Moore of the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission. He's come out strongly against things like the Confederate flag and why that should be down. Um Tyler, you mentioned this, make peace with making mistakes. <laughs> There's not one of us here who has spoken about racial issues who didn't, you know, end up putting their foot in their mouth. Uh, we, we make mistakes and that's going to happen. It's okay. Stay in the fight, learn and move on. Uh, work to create more white allies. In other words, if you're convinced of these things, talk to other folks in your network who are white and try to convince them, try to persuade them so that we multiply our allies. Um, here's one, a very basic one. Do a Google search. <laughs> if you do a Google search on how to be a white ally, I guarantee you, you will get a lot more information than you can ever read. And so it's real easy to send me a message or Tyler or Kemeny a message and say, hey, what do we do? I would encourage you to do a little bit of the footwork yourself. Uh, sort of orient yourself to the idea, and then if you want to sort of refine those ideas or talk through the implications more, that's the time to reach out to a minority friend. But there's a ton you can learn just by pulling up your search engine. Here's another one. Yes. <laughs> Here's another one. Teach your children. Uh, are we exposing mm. our kids to different kinds of people, whether that's on an ongoing basis, like through their school, or even just children's books that we're giving them ethnic and, and cultural diversity in their books? Are we taking them to different cultural events? Uh, are we being intentional about the next generation and showing them what it means to be an ally, showing them what it means to understand another person's perspective and experience? And just a couple more, create something. So immediately, I think people will sort of dip their toe in the water by tweeting something or putting up a Facebook post or, or reposting something. That's good, but you can go even beyond that. You can write a blog yourself. Um, you can do some research and produce something. You can make music or art that speaks to um, racism and works against it. So, so produce something is a way, that's a way to be an ally. Uh, I've got more, but the, the, the last one I'll, I'll do is uh, give money. <laughs> this is just a real practical reality, right? Everybody, no matter what your race is, is going to struggle with um, funding for different things. But 
for a historically marginalized group, getting a running start is really important. And getting that helping hand just to get get going, that's critical. And so you can help support uh, uh, someone get through seminary. Uh, you can help support ministries that are trying to do something about racial dialogue and racial justice. Uh, there are a million ways that you can help, but a real easy one is is just to lend any sort of financial or resources uh, support that you can to, to different projects or individuals. So those are some real practical ways. Um, this is a conversation that can go on and on, but I hope it is an introduction and emboldens people to sort of get involved as allies. Any final thoughts, Akemini? Yeah, I do. Um, I just don't want us to forget the spiritual aspect and that a lot of this requires prayer too. I mean, we don't want to stop there, but we need, we need to be praying about these things, honestly, on a daily basis. Um, because this is a, a, you know, a real, a real issue, um, not only in the church, but just in America, everybody's talking about these issues and everybody's looking, um, really spinning their wheels, trying to find these answers and it's the church that really does have these answers. So it's something we need to be also praying about um, in addition to those practical steps, you know, about learning, doing research, contributing um, in writing and also um, with your money. But, yeah, we need to be praying about these these issues as well and being intentional about relationships. Beautiful. Amen. Tyler, any last thoughts? No, I just say amen, man. Jamar, you went in. <laughs> yeah, you did. That means I, I spoke a long time. So I apologize for that, but a really no, helpful no. discussion Good. for me. Thank Good. y'all. Thanks, E. Thank, oh, no, thank you. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's always an honor. We want to thank Akemini Uwan for joining us on this episode of Pass the Mic. You can follow her at www.systematictheology.com or on Twitter at Sista underscore theology. As always, you can learn more about the Reformed African American Network by visiting rennetwork.org. You can follow the network on Twitter at Rand Network, as well as the show at underscore pass the mic. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Reformed African Americans. Pass the Mic is a collaborative effort between the Reformed African American Network and Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com to discover the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for this show, as always, has been Bo York. Our guests have been Ikemini Uwan, and our co-host has been Jamar Tisby. And I've been your host, Tyler Burns, and we'll see you soon on the next Pass Pass the the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.